What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So, yeah, we didn't have an episode last week. I was out of town and all that fun shit. I actually went to a concert in Reno. It was Guar, Napalm Death, and I Hate God. They fucking kicked ass. I made sure to get lots of shirts to support the bands I like. But anyway, I've decided to do a little bonus episode for you guys today. And all it is, I'm going to read the Spartacus letter. I briefly covered it a couple of months ago when it first came out, but I did not read the whole letter. So today, I'm going to read the entire letter and I will try to break it down because it is kind of in science speak. It's very important and it has a lot of good information. Lately, I've been getting a lot of messages from people that are newly awake to what's going on with the COVID bullshit. So I always tell them to start with the Spartacus letter. So I decided just to read that for you guys today and try to break it down a bit. So get ready for this. So just a little background, the letter was posted anonymously back in September of this year. At the end of the letter, The authors do provide references for every single thing they cite in this letter. So if you would like me to send you a PDF of the actual letter, which has all the links for the references, go ahead and email me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com. You can try uh, Instagram for what that's worth. You can try Vanished in the Valley Athena or Vanished in the Valley Athena Backup. Now, I think you got to type in my name like completely. So that's why I've been saying people just send me emails if you actually like want to get a hold of me in a timely matter. But let's start with the Spartacus letter. Hello, my name is Spartacus and I've had enough. We have been forced to watch America and the free world spin in to inexorable decline due to a bio warfare attack. We along with countless others, have been victimized and gaslit by propaganda and the psychological warfare operations being conducted by an unelected, unaccountable elite against the American people and our allies. Our mental and physical health have suffered immensely over the course of the past year and a half. We have felt the sting of isolation, lockdown, masking, quarantines, and other completely nonsensical acts of healthcare theater that have been done with absolutely nothing to protect the health or well-being of the public from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Now we are watching the medical establishment inject literal poison into millions of our fellow Americans and worldwide without so much as a fight. We have been told that we will be fired and denied our livelihoods if we refuse to vaccinate. This is the last straw. We have spent thousands of hours analyzing leaked footage from Wuhan, scientific papers from primary sources, as well as the paper trail left by the medical establishment. What we have discovered would shock anyone to their core. First, we will summarize our findings, then we will explain them in detail. References will be placed at the end. COVID-19 is a blood and a blood vessel disease. SARS, coronavirus 2, infects the lining of human blood vessels, causing them to leak into the lungs. The current treatment protocols, which are invasive ventilation, are actively harmful to patients, 
accelerating oxidative stress and causing severe ventilator-induced lung injuries. The continued use of ventilators in the absence of any proven medical benefit constitutes mass murder. Existing countermeasures are inadequate to slow the spread of what is an aerosolized and potentially wastewater-borne virus and constitute a form of medical theater. Various non-vaccine interventions have been suppressed by both the media and the medical establishment in favor of vaccines and expensive patent drugs. The authorities have denied the usefulness of natural immunity against COVID-19, despite the fact that natural immunity confers protection against all of the virus's proteins, not just one. Vaccines will do more harm than good. The antigen that these vaccines are based on, the SARS coronavirus 2 spike, is a toxic protein. SARS coronavirus 2 may have ADE or antibody dependent enhancement. Current antibodies may not neutralize future strains, but instead help them infect the immune cells. Also, vaccinating during a pandemic with a leaky vaccine removes the evolutionary pressure for a virus to become less lethal. There is a vast and appalling criminal conspiracy that directly links both Anthony Fauci and Moderna to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. COVID-19 vaccine researchers are directly linked to scientists involved in brain-computer interface, which is called the Neuralace, one of whom was indicted for taking grant money from China. Independent researchers have discovered mysterious nanoparticles inside the vaccine that are not supposed to be present. The entire pandemic is being used as an excuse for the vast political and economic transformation of Western society that will enrich the already rich and turn the rest of us into serfs and untouchables. COVID-19 Pathophysiology and Treatments COVID-19 is not a viral pneumonia. It is a viral vascular endotheliitis and attacks the lining of blood vessels, particularly the small pulmonary alveolar capillaries, leading to endothelial cell activation and sloughing, coagopathy, sepsis, pulmonary edema, and ARDS-like symptoms. This is a disease of the blood and the blood vessels, the circulatory system. Any pneumonia that it causes is secondary to that. In severe cases, this leads to sepsis, blood clots, and multiple organ failure, including hypoxic and inflammatory damage to the various vital organs such as the brain, heart, liver, pancreas, kidneys, and intestines. Some of the most common laboratory findings in COVID-19 are elevated D-dimmer, elevated prothrombin time, elevated C-reactive protein, neutrophilia, lymphopenia, hypocalcemia, and essentially matching a profile of coagulopathy and immune system hyperactivation and immune cell exhaustion. Okay, I know that part was a little fucking confusing, so let me just kind of break it down. So what they're saying is in like the blood work of people that actually have COVID, they have extremely high white blood cell counts, they have low calcium, and their coagulopathy, which basically is their clotting time, and the immune system hyperactivation 
essentially matching a profile of coagulopathy, which is just clotting time, and immune cell exhaustion. Just the immune system is going into overdrive just with particular types of white blood cells. COVID-19 can present as almost anything due to the wide tropism of the SARS coronavirus 2 for various tissues in the body's vital organs. While most common initial presentation is respiratory illness and flu-like symptoms, it can present as brain inflammation, gastrointestinal disease, or even heart attack or pulmonary embolism. COVID-19 is more severe in those with specific comorbidities, such as obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. This is because those conditions involve the endothelial dysfunction, which renders the circulatory system more susceptible to infection and injury by this particular virus. So basically, those diseases are diseases of your blood, of your circulatory system. Your blood is not circulating normally. The vast majority of COVID-19 cases are mild and do not cause significant disease. In known cases, there is something known as the 80-20 rule, where 80% of cases are mild and 20% are severe or critical. However, this ratio is only correct for known cases, not all infections. The number of actual infections is much, much higher. Consequently, the mortality and morbidity rate is lower. However, COVID-19 spreads very quickly, meaning that there are a significant number of severely ill and critically ill patients appearing in a short time frame. Those who have critical COVID-19 induce sepsis, hypoxia, coagulopathy, and ARDS. The most common treatments are intubation, injected corticosteroids, and blood thinners. This is not the correct treatment for COVID-19. In severe hypoxia, which just means a lack of oxygen, cellular metabolic shifts cause ATP, and that's a hormone called adenosine triphosphate, causes ATP to break down in hypoxanthine, which upon the reintroduction of oxygen causes the xanthine to oxidize and produce tons of highly damaged radicals that attack tissue. This is called ischemia reperfusion injury. And it's why the majority of people who go on a ventilator are dying. In the mitochondria, which is kind of like the powerhouse of the cell, succinate builds up due to sepsis. And it does the same exact thing. When oxygen is reintroduced, it makes superoxide radicals. Make no mistake, intubation will kill people who have COVID-19. The end stage of COVID-19 is severe lipid perioxidation, and that's where fats in the body start to quote-unquote rust due to damage by oxidative stress. This drives autoimmunity. Oxidized lipids, and a lipid is a fat cell, oxidized lipids appear as foreign objects to the immune system, which recognizes and forms antibodies against oxidized specific epitopes. Also, oxidized lipids feed directly into a pattern recognition receptors, triggering even more inflammation and summoning even more cells of the innate immune system 
that release even more destructive enzymes. It's similar to the pathology of lupus. COVID-19 pathology, and pathology literally translates into disease study. So COVID-19's pathology is dominated by extreme oxidative stress and neutrophil respiratory burst. Neutrophil is a type of white blood cell. So the respiratory burst to the point where hemoglobin becomes incapable of carrying oxygen due to the hemi-iron being stripped out of the hemi by hypochlorous acid. No amount of supplemental oxygen can oxygenate blood that chemically refuses to bind to oxygen. And here is a breakdown of the pathology. SARS coronavirus 2 spike binds to the ACE2 angiotensin converting enzyme 2 is an enzyme that is part of the renin angiotensin aldinostrone system or RAAS. The RAAS is a hormone control system that moderates fluid in the body and the bloodstream by controlling salt retention and excretion. This protein, ACE2, is ubiquitous in every part of the body that interfaces with the circulatory system, particularly in vascular endothelial cells and parasites, brain astrocytes, renal tubes, and podocytes, pancreatic islet cells, bile duct and intestinal epithelial cells, and semi-inferous ducts of the testes all of which the SARS coronavirus 2 can infect, not just the lungs. So yeah, that part was like super technical and just talks about the hormone systems and how it stops binding to particles that it needs to bind to. But if you want me to break down that one, just send me a DM. I'm not going to even try to do that right now. SARS coronavirus 2 infects a cell as follows. The SARS coronavirus 2 spike undergoes a conformational change where the S1 trimmers flip up and extend, locking onto ACE2 bound to the surface of the cell. The TMPRSS2, or the transmembrane protease serine 2, comes along and cuts off the head of the spike, exposing the S2 stalk shape subunit inside. The remainder of the spike undergoes a conformational change that causes it to unfold like an extension ladder, embedding itself in the cell membrane. Then it folds back upon itself, pulling the viral membrane and the cell membrane together. The two membranes fuse with the virus proteins migrating out onto the surface of the cell. The SARS coronavirus 2, a nucleoscade, enters the cell, disgorging its genetic material and beginning the viral replication process, hijacking the cell's own structure to produce more virus. SARS coronavirus 2 spike proteins embedded in a cell can actually cause human cells to fuse together, forming syncytia, MGCs, which is multinuclear giant cells. They also have other pathogenic harmful effects. The SARS coronavirus 2's viroporins, such as its envelope protein, can act as calcium ion channels, introducing calcium into an infected cells. The virus suppresses a natural interferon response, resulting in delayed inflammation. The SARS coronavirus 2 N protein can also directly activate the NLRP3 inflammasome, 
It also suppresses the NRF2 antioxidant pathway. The suppression of the ACE2 by the binding with spike causes a buildup of bradykin that would otherwise be broken down by the ACE2. This constant influx of calcium into the cells results in noticeable hypocalcemia or low blood calcium especially in people with vitamin D deficiencies and pre-existing endothelial dysfunction. Bradykin unregulates the CGMP and the COX, COX, and phospholipase C activity. This results in a prostaglandin release and vastly increased intracellular calcium signaling, which promotes highly aggressive ROS release and ATP depletion, NADPH oxidized release superoxide into the extracellular space. Superoxide radicals react with nitric oxide to form perioxynitrate. Perioxynitrate reacts with the tetrahydrobioprotein cofactor needed by the endothelial nitric oxide synthase, destroying it and uncoupling the enzymes causing nitric oxide synthase to synthesize into more superoxide instead. This proceeds in a positive feedback loop until the nitric oxide bioavailability in the circular system is depleted. I know it's very fucking technical. And like I said, if you want me to break it down further for you, send me a DM. Due to the extreme cytokine release triggered by these processes, the body summons a great deal of neutrophils and monocyte derived alveolar macrophages to the lungs. And that's just a couple of specific white blood cells. Cells of the innate immune system are the first line defenders against pathogens. They work by engulfing invaders and trying to attack them with enzymes that produce powerful oxidants like SOD and MPO. Superoxide dismutase takes superoxide and makes hydrogen peroxide and myeloperoxidase, which hydrogen peroxide and chlorine ions and makes hypochlorous acid, which is many, many times more reactive than sodium hypochlorite bleach. Then we get into these neutrophils, which is another type of white blood cell. Neutrophils have a nasty trick. They can also eject these enzymes into the extracellular space where they will continuously spit out peroxide and bleach into the bloodstream. This is called neutrophil extracellular trap formation, or when it becomes pathogenic, disease-causing, and counterproductive, the netosis in severe and critical COVID-19, there is actually rather severe netosis. Net. So the hypochlorous acid building up in the bloodstream begins to bleach the iron out of the heme and compete for oxygen binding sites. The red blood cells lose the ability to transport oxygen, causing the sufferer to turn blue in the face. Unliganded iron, hydrogen peroxide, and superoxide in the bloodstream undergoes the Haber, Weiss, and Fenton reactions, producing extremely reactive hydroxyl radicals that violently strip electrons from surrounding fats and DNA oxidizing them severely. The condition is not unknown to the medical science. The actual name for all of this is acute sepsis. 
We know this is happening in COVID-19 because people who have died of the disease have noticeable ferroptosis signatures in their tissues as well as various other oxidative stress markers. When you intubate someone with this condition, you're setting off a free radical bomb by supplying the cells with O2. It's a catch-22 because we need oxygen to make the ATP, but the O2 is also the precursor for all these damaging radicals that lead to lipid peroxidation, which is the rusting fat cells. Now, the correct treatment for severe COVID-19-related sepsis is non-invasive ventilation, steroids, and antioxidant infusions. Most of the drugs repurposed for COVID-19 that show any benefit whatsoever in rescuing critically ill COVID-19 patients are antioxidants. And then he goes on to list a bunch of them. There's like melatonin, fluxoxamine, famotidine, semitidine, and rantinidine. Those are all antioxidants. Indomethacin prevents iron-driven oxidization of arachidonic acid isoproteins. There are powerful antioxidants such as apocinin that have not even been tested on COVID-19 patients yet which could defang neutrophils, prevent lipid peroxidation, and restore endothelial health and restore oxygenation to the tissues. Scientists who know anything about pulmonary neutrophilia, ARDS, and the redox biology have known or surmised as much of this since March 2020. In April of 2020, Swiss scientists confirmed that COVID-19 was a vascular endotheliitis. By late 2020, experts had already concluded that COVID-19 causes a form of viral sepsis. They also know that sepsis can be effectively treated with antioxidants. None of this information is particularly new, and yet, for the most part, it has not been acted upon. Doctors continue to use damaging intubation techniques with high PEEP settings, despite high lung compliance and poor oxygenation, killing an untold number of critically ill patients with medical malpractice. Because of the way they are constructed, randomized controlled trials will never show any benefit for any antiviral against COVID-19. The reason for this is simple. For the patients they have recruited for these studies, such as Oxford's ludicrous recovery study, the intervention is too late for it to have any positive effect. The clinical course of COVID-19 is such that by the time most people seek medical attention for hypoxia, their viral load has already tapered off to almost nothing. If someone is about 10 days post-exposure and already has been symptomatic for five days, there is hardly any virus left in their bodies, only cellular damage and derangement that has initiated a hyperinflammatory response. It is from this group that the clinical trials for antivirals have recruited pretty much exclusively. So they're basically saying that in a lot of these studies, they're waiting too long to try the antioxidants and antivirals. By the time they get to these patients, it's just the viral load is basically next to nothing. In the trials, they give antivirals to severely ill patients who have no virus in their body, only a delayed hyperinflammatory response, and then absurdly claim that antivirals have no utility in treating or preventing COVID-19. These trials do not recruit people who are pre-symptomatic. They do not test pre-exposure or post-exposure prophylaxis. It's like trying to use a defibrillator to shock only flatline. 
and then absurdly claiming that defibrillators have no medical utility whatsoever when the patient refuses to rise from the dead. The intervention is too late. These trials for antivirals show systematic, egregious selection bias. They are providing a treatment that is futile to the specific cohort they are enrolling. India went against the instructions of the World Health Organization and mandated the prophylactic usage of ivermectin. They have almost completely eradicated COVID-19. Japan is now on board with India, but this was written before all that. The Indian Bar Association of Mumbai has brought criminal charges against WHO chief scientist Dr. Sumia Swamathani, however the fuck you say her name, for recommending against the use of ivermectin. Ivermectin is not a horse dewormer. Yes, it is sold in veterinary paste form as a dewormer for animals. It has also been available in pill form for humans for decades as an antiparasitic drug. They uh, give ivermectin to people infected with scabies. They give it to dogs to prevent heartworm. It has a lot of different uses. The media has disingenuously claimed that because ivermectin is an antiparasitic drug, it has no utility as an antivirus. This is incorrect. Ivermectin has utility as an antiviral. It blocks importing, preventing nuclear import, effectively inhibiting the viral access to the cell's nuclei. That's just the middle of the cell. Many drugs currently on the market have multiple modes of action. Ivermectin is one such drug. It is both antiparasitic and antiviral. And check this out, guys. This seems to be problem number one. In Bangladesh, ivermectin costs $1.80 for an entire five-day course. Remdesivir, which is toxic to the liver, costs $3,120 for a five-day course of the drug. Billions of dollars of utterly useless remdesivir was sold to our governments, on the taxpayer's dime, of course, and it ended up being totally useless for treating hyperinflammatory COVID-19. The media, well, the mainstream media, has hardly even covered this at all. The opposition to the use of generic ivermectin is not based in science. It is purely financial and politically motivated. An effective non-vaccine intervention would jeopardize the rushed FDA approval of patented vaccines and medicines for which the pharmaceutical industry stands to rake in billions upon billions of dollars in sales on an ongoing basis. The majority of the public are scientifically illiterate and cannot grasp what any of this even means thanks to a pathetic educational system that has miseducated them. You'd be lucky to find one in 100 people who even have the faintest clue what any of this actually means. That's his words, not mine. So now we're moving on to COVID-19 transmission. So COVID-19 is airborne. The WHO carried water for China by claiming that the virus was only droplet-borne. And our own CDC absurdly claimed that it was mostly transmitted by fomite-to-face contact, which, given its rapid spread from Wuhan to the rest of the world, would have been physically impossible. The ridiculous belief in fomite to face being a primary mode of transmission led to the use of surface disinfectant protocols that wasted time, energy, and productivity, and disinfectant. The six-foot guidelines are absolutely useless. 
the minimum safe distance to protect oneself from an aerosolized virus is to be 15 plus feet away from an infected person. No closer. Realistically, no public transit is safe. Surgical masks do not protect you from aerosols. The virus is too small and the filter media has too large of gaps to filter it out. They may catch respiratory droplets and keep the virus from being expelled by someone who is sick, but they do not filter a cloud of infectious aerosols if someone were to walk around into said cloud. The minimum level of protection against the virus is quite literally a P100 respirator, a PAPR-CAPR, or a 40 millimeter NATO CBRN respirator, ideally paired with a full body Tyvek suit, gloves, and booties. So the fucking moon boots, the moon outfits you see people wearing when they're treating like Ebola patients. Live SARS coronavirus 2 may potentially be detected in sewage outflows and there may be oral fecal transmission. During the SARS outbreak in 2003, in the Amoy Gardens incident, hundreds of people were infected by aerosolized fecal matter rising from floor drains in their apartments. How fucking nasty is that? So now we're going to move on to the heated subject of vaccines. The vaccines for COVID-19 are not sterilizing and they do not prevent infection or transmission. They are leaky vaccines. And this means they remove the evolutionary pressure on the virus to become less lethal. It also means that the vaccinated are perfect carriers. In other words, those who are vaccinated are a threat to the unvaccinated not the other way around. All of the COVID-19 vaccines currently in use have undergone minimal testing with highly accelerated clinical trials. Though they appear to limit severe illness, the long-term safety profile of these vaccines remains unknown. Some of these so-called vaccines utilize an untested new technology that has never been used in vaccines before. Traditional vaccines use weakened or killed virus to stimulate an immune response. The Moderna and Pfizer vaccines do not. They're purported to consist of an intramuscular shot containing a suspension of lipid nanoparticles filled with messenger RNA. The way they generate an immune response is by fusing with cells in a vaccine recipient's shoulder, undergoing endocytosis, releasing their mRNA cargo into those cells, and then utilizing the ribosomes in those cells to synthesize a modified SARS coronavirus 2 spike protein. These modified spike proteins then migrate to the surface of the cell where they are anchored in place by a transmembrane domain. The adaptive immune system detects the non-human viral protein being expressed by these cells and then forms antibodies against that protein. This is the purpose to confer protection against the virus by training the adaptive immune system to recognize and produce antibodies against the spike on the actual virus. The Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines do something similar, but use an adenovirus vector for genetic material delivery instead of a lipid nanoparticle. These vaccines were produced or validated with the aid of fetal cell lines, which people with certain religious convictions may object strongly to. And just so you know, the fucking fact checkers will come after you if you post anything about that. But it's 
actual proof, it was leaked information from some people that worked in these pharmaceutical companies. The SARS coronavirus 2 spike is a highly pathogenic protein on its own. It is impossible to overstate the danger presented by introducing this protein into the human body. It's claimed by the vaccine manufacturers that the vaccine remains in the cells in the shoulder and that the SARS coronavirus 2 spike produced and expressed by these cells from the vaccine's genetic material is harmless in error thanks to this insertion of prolines in the spike sequence to stabilize it in the perfusion conformation preventing the spike from becoming active and fusing with other cells. However, the pharmacokinetic study from Japan showed that the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA from the Pfizer vaccine did not stay in the shoulder and, in fact, bioaccumulated in many different organs, including the reproductive organs and adrenal glands, meaning that modified spike is being expressed quite literally all over the place. These lipid nanoparticles may trigger anaphylaxis in an unlucky few. But far more concerning is the unregulated expression of the spike in various somatic cell lines far from the injection site and the unknown consequences of that. Messenger RNA is normally consumed right after it is produced in the body, being translated into a protein by ribosome. COVID-19 vaccine mRNA is produced outside the body long before a ribosome translated. In the meantime, it could accumulate damage if inadequately preserved. When a ribosome attempts to translate a damaged strand of mRNA, it can become stalled. When this happens, the ribosome becomes useless for the translating proteins because it now has a piece of mRNA stuck in it like a lace card in an old punch card reader. The whole thing has to be cleaned up with new ribosomes synthesized to replace it. In cells with low ribosome turnover, like nerve cells, this can lead to reduced protein synthesis, cytopathic effects, and neuropathies. Certain proteins, including the SARS-CoV-2 spike, have proteolytic cleavage sites that are basically like little dotted lines that say, cut here, which attract a living organism's own proteases, essentially molecular scissors to cut them. There is a possibility that the S1 may be proteolytically cleaved from the S2, causing active S1 to float away into the bloodstream while leaving the S2 stock embedded in the membrane of the cell that expressed the protein. The SARS coronavirus 2 spike has a super antigenic region which may promote extreme inflammation. The anti-spike antibodies were found in one study to function as autoantibodies and attack the body's own cells. Those who have been immunized with COVID-19 vaccines have developed blood clots, myo- and pericarditis, the julian Barr syndrome, Bell's palsy, multiple sclerosis flares, indicating that the vaccine promotes autoimmune reactions against healthy tissues. The SARS coronavirus 2 spike does not only bind to the ACE2. It was suspected to have regions that bazigan, Integrins, neutrophil 1, and bacterial lipopolysaccharides as well. SARS coronavirus 2 spike on its own can potentially bind to any of these things and act as a ligand for them, 
triggering unspecified, unlikely highly inflammatory cellular activities. The SARS-CoV-2 spike contains an unusual PRRA insert that forms a furin cleavage site. Furin is a ubiquitous human protease, making this an ideal property for the spike to have, giving it a high degree of cell tropism. No wild-type SARS-like coronavirus related to the SARS coronavirus 2 possesses this feature, making it highly suspicious and perhaps a sign of human tampering. The SARS coronavirus 2 spike has a prion-like domain that enhances its infectiousness. The spike 1-RBD may bind to heparin-binding proteins and promote amyloid aggregation. In humans, this could lead to Parkinson's, Lewy body dementia, premature Alzheimer's, or various other neurodegenerative diseases. This is very concerning because the SARS coronavirus 2 S1 is capable of injuring and penetrating the blood brain barrier and entering the brain. It is also capable of increasing the permeability of the blood brain barrier to other molecules. SARS coronavirus 2, like other beta coronaviruses, may have dengue-like ADE or antibody-dependent enhancement of disease. For those who are not aware, some viruses, including beta coronaviruses, have a feature called ADE. There is also something called original antigenic sin which is the observation that the body prefers to produce antibodies based on previously encountered strains of a virus over newly encountered ones. In ADE, antibodies from a previous infection become non-neutralizing due to mutations in the virus's proteins. These non-neutralizing antibodies then act as a Trojan horse, allowing live active virus to be pulled into the macrophages through their FC receptor pathways, allowing the virus to infect immune cells that it would not have been able to infect before. This has been known to happen with dengue fever. When someone gets sick with dengue, recovers, and then contracts a different strain, they can get very, very ill. If someone vaccinated with mRNA-based spike from the initial Wuhan strain of SARS coronavirus 2, and then they become infected with a future mutated strain of the virus, they may become seriously ill. In other words, it is possible for the vaccines to sensitize someone to disease. There is a precedent for this in recent history. Sanofi's Dengue-Vaxa vaccine for dengue failed because it caused immune sensitization in people whose immune systems were dengue-naive. In mice immunized against SARS coronavirus and challenged with the virus, a close relative of SARS coronavirus 2, they developed immune sensitization, Th2 immunopathology, and eosinophil infiltration in their lungs. We've been told that the SARS coronavirus 2 mRNA vaccines cannot be integrated into the human genome because messenger RNA cannot be turned back into DNA. This is false. There are elements in the human cells called line 1 
retrotramposons, which can indeed integrate mRNA into a human genome by endogenesis reverse transcription. Because the mRNA used in the vaccine is stabilized, it hangs around in cells longer, increasing the chances for this to happen. If the gene for SARS coronavirus 2 spike is integrated into a portion of the genome that is not silent and actually expresses a protein, it is possible that people who take the vaccine may continuously express SARS-CoV-2 spikes from their somatic cells for the rest of their lives. By inoculating people with a vaccine that causes their bodies to produce spike in situ, they are being inoculated with a pathogenic protein, a toxin that may cause long-term inflammation, heart problems, and a raised risk of cancers. In the long term, it may also potentially lead to premature neurodegenerative disease. Absolutely nobody should be compelled to take this vaccine under any circumstances, and in actual fact, the vaccination campaign must be stopped immediately. So now we get to the good part, the COVID-19 criminal conspiracy. The vaccine and the virus were made by the same people. In 2014, there was a moratorium on SARS gain-of-function research that lasted until 2017. This research was not halted. Instead, it was outsourced, with the federal grants being laundered through NGOs, non-governmental organizations. Ralph Barrick is a virologist and SARS expert at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina. This is who Anthony Fauci was referring to when he insisted before Congress that if any gain-of-function research was being conducted, it was being conducted in North Carolina. That was a lie. Anthony Fauci lied before Congress, which is a felony. Ralph Barrick and Shi Zingli are colleagues and have co-written papers together. Ralph Barrick mentored Shi Zingli in his gain-of-function manipulation techniques, particularly serial passage, which results in a virus that appears as if it originated naturally. In other words, deniable bioweapons. Serial passage in humanized HACE2 mice may have produced something like SARS coronavirus 2. The funding for the gain-of-function research being conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology came from Peter Daszak. Peter Daszak runs an NGO called Echo Health Alliance. Echo Health Alliance received millions of dollars in grant money from the National Institute of Health, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. That is, Anthony Fauci. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency, part of the U.S. Department of Defense, and the United States Agency for International Development, NIH and IAD, contributed a few million dollars, and DTRA and USAID each contributed tens of millions of dollars towards this research. Altogether, it was over $100 million. Echo Health Alliance subcontracted these grants to the Wuhan Institute of Urology, a lab in China with very questionable safety record and poorly trained staff, so they could conduct gain-of-function research, not in their fancy P4 lab, but in a level 2 lab where technicians wore nothing more sophisticated than perhaps a hairnet, latex glove, and a surgical mask. Instead of the bubble suits used when working with dangerous viruses, 
Chinese scientists in Wuhan reported being routinely bitten and urinated on by laboratory animals. Why anyone would outsource this dangerous and delicate work to the People's Republic of China, a country infamous for industrial accidents and massive explosions that have claimed hundreds of lives, is completely beyond me, unless the aim was to start a pandemic on purpose. In November 2019, three technicians at the Wuhan Institute of Virology developed symptoms consistent with flu-like illness. Anthony Fauci, Peter Daszak, and Ralph Barrick knew at once what had happened, because back channels exist between this laboratory and our scientists and officials. December 12, 2019, Ralph Barrick signed a material transfer agreement, essentially an NDA, to receive coronavirus mRNA vaccine-related materials co-owned by Moderna and NIH. It wasn't until a whole month later on January 11, 2020, that China allegedly sent a sequence to what would become known as SARS-CoV-2. Moderna claims, rather absurdly, that they developed a working vaccine from the sequence in under 48 hours. Stephanie Bansell, the current CEO of Moderna, was formerly the CEO of Biomerix, a French multinational corporation specializing in medical diagnostic technology, founded by one Alain Marceau. Alain Marceau was one of the individuals who was instrumental in the construction of the Wuhan Institute Virology P4 lab. The sequence given as the closest relative to sars coronavirus 2 RATG13, is not even a real virus. It's a forgery. It was made by entering a gene sequence by hand into a database to create a cover story for the existence of SARS coronavirus 2, which is very likely a gain-of-function chimera produced at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and was either leaked by accident or intentionally released. The animal reservoir of SARS coronavirus 2 has never been found. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is an actual criminal conspiracy in which people connected to the development of Moderna's mRNA-1273 are directly connected to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and their gain-of-function research by a very few degrees of separation, if any. The paper trail is well established. The lab leak theory has been suppressed because pulling that thread leads one to inevitably conclude that there is enough circumstantial evidence to link Moderna, the NIH, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and both the vaccine and the virus's creation together. In a sane country, this would have immediately led to the world's biggest RICO and mass murder case. Anthony Fauci, Peter Daszak, Ralph Barrick, Xi Zhengli, and Stephanie Bansell and their accomplices would have been indicted and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Instead, billions of our tax dollars were awarded to the perpetrators. It's like clown world. Fuck, man. The FBI raided Allure Medical in Shelby Township, north of Detroit, for billing insurances for quote-unquote fraudulent COVID-19 cures. The treatment they were using? Intravenous vitamin C, an antioxidant which, as described above, is entirely valid treatment for COVID-19-induced sepsis, and indeed, is now part of the math protocol advanced by Dr. Paul E. Merrick. 
the FDA banned ranitidine, which is Zantac, due to supposed contamination. Ranitidine is not only an H2 blocker used as an antacid, but also has powerful antioxidant effect, scavenging hydroxyl radicals. This gives it utility in treating COVID-19. The FDA also attempted to take N-acetylcysteine, a harmless amino acid supplement antioxidant, off the shelves, compelling Amazon to remove it from their online storefront. This leaves us with a chilling question. Did the FDA knowingly suppress antioxidants useful for treating COVID-19 sepsis as a part of a criminal conspiracy against the American public? The establishment is cooperating with and facilitating the worst criminals in human history and are actively suppressing non-vaccine treatments and therapies in order to compel us to inject these criminals' products into our bodies. This is absolutely unacceptable. Now we're going to move on to COVID-19 vaccine development and links to the transhumanism. So this section deals with some more speculative aspects of the pandemic and the medical and scientific establishment's reaction to it, as well as disturbing links between scientists involved in the vaccine research and scientists whose work involved merging nanotechnology with living cells. On June 9, 2020, Charles Leiber, a Harvard nanotechnology researcher with decades of experience, was indicted by the Department of Justice for fraud. Charles received millions of dollars in grant money from the U.S. Department of Defense, specifically the military think tank DARPA, AFOSR and ONR, as well as NIH and MITRE. His specialty is the use of silicone nanowires in lieu of patch clamp electrodes to monitor and modulate intracellular activity, something he's been working on at Harvard for the past 20 years. He was claimed to have been working on silicone nanowire batteries in China, but none of his colleagues can recall him ever having worked on battery technology in his life. All of his research deals with bio-anotechnology, or the blending of nanotech with living cells. The indictment was over his collaboration with the Wuhan University of Technology. He had double-dipped. The indictment was over his collaboration with the Wuhan University of Technology. He had double-dipped against the terms of his DOD grants and taken money from the PRC's Thousands Talent Plan, a program which the Chinese government uses to bribe Western scientists into sharing proprietary R&D information that can be exploited by the PLA for strategic advantage. Charles Leiber's own papers describe the use of silicone nanowires for brain-computer interface or neural lace technology. His papers describe how neurons can be endocytose with silicone nanowires or part of them, monitoring and even modulating neural activity. Charles Lieber was a colleague of Robert Langer. Together, along with Daniel S. Cohen, they worked on a paper describing artificial tissue scaffolds that can be implanted into a human heart to monitor its activity remotely. Robert Langer, an MIT alumni and expert in nanotech drug delivery, is one of the co-founders of Moderna. His net worth is now 
5.1 billion U.S. dollars, thanks to Moderna's mRNA-1273 vaccine sales. Both Charles Lieber and Robert Langer's bibliography describes, essentially, techniques for human enhancement, i.e. transhumanism. Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum and the architect behind the so-called Great Reset, has long spoken of blending biology and machinery in his books. Since these revelations, it's come to the attention of independent researchers that COVID-19 vaccines may contain reduced graphene oxide nanoparticles. Japanese researchers have also found unexplained contaminants in COVID-19 vaccines. Graphene oxide is an anxiolytic. It has been shown to reduce the anxiety of laboratory mice when injected into their brains. Indeed, given SARS coronavirus 2 spikes propensity to compromise the blood-brain barrier and increases permeability, it is the perfect protein for preparing the brain tissue for extravization of nanoparticles from the bloodstream into the brain. Graphene is also highly conductive and, in some circumstances, paramagnetic. In 2013, under the Obama administration, DARPA launched Brain Initiative. BRAIN is an acronym for Brain Research Through Advanced Innovative Neurotechnologies. This program involves the development of brain-computer interface technologies for the military, particularly non-invasive injectable systems that cause minimal damage to the brain tissue when removed. Supposedly, this technology would be used for healing wounded soldiers with traumatic brain injuries the direct brain control of prosthetic limbs, and even new abilities such as controlling drones with one's mind. Various methods have been proposed for achieving this, including optogenics, magnetogenics, ultrasound, implanted electrodes, and transcranial electromagnetic stimulation. In all instances, the goal is to obtain read or read-write capability over neurons, either by stimulating and probing them or by rendering them especially sensitive to stimulization and probing. However, the notion of widespread use of BCI technology, such as Elon Musk's Neuralink device, raises many concerns over the privacy and personal autonomy. Reading from neurons is problematic enough on its own. Wireless brain-computer interfaces may interact with current or future wireless GSM infrastructure, creating neurological data security concerns. A hacker or malicious actor may compromise such networks to obtain people's brain data and then exploit it for nefarious purposes. However, a device capable of writing to a human neurons and not just reading from them presents another even more serious set of ethical concerns. A BCI that is capable of altering the contents of one's mind for innocuous purposes such as projecting a heads-up display onto their brain's visual center or sending audio into one's auditory cortex, would also theoretically be capable of altering mood and personality, or perhaps even subjugating someone's very will, rendering them utterly obedient to authority. This technology would be a tyrant's wet dream. Imagine soldiers who would shoot their own countrymen without hesitation, or helpless serfs who are satisfied to live in literal dog kennels. BCIs could be used to unscrupulously alter perceptions of basic things such as emotion and values, 
changing people's thresholds of sadity, happiness, anger, disgust, and so forth. This is not inconsequential. Someone's entire regime of behaviors could be altered by a BCI, including such things as suppressing their appetite or desire for virtually anything on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anything is possible when you have direct access to someone's brain and its contents. Someone who is obese could be made to feel disgust at the sight of food. Someone who is involuntarily celibate could have their libido disabled so they don't even desire sex to begin with. Someone who is racist could be forced to feel delight over cohabitating with people of other races. Someone who is violent could be forced to be meek and submissive. These things might sound good to you if you're a tyrant. But to normal people, the idea of personal autonomy is being overridden to such a degree is appalling. For the wealthy, narrow lace would be an unequaled boon, giving them opportunity to enhance their intelligence with neuroprosthetics and to deliver irresistible commands directly into the minds of their BCI augmented servants, even physically or sexually abusive commands that they would normally refuse. If the vaccine is a method to surreptitiously introduce an injectable BCI into millions of people without their knowledge or consent, then what we are witnessing is the rise of a tyrannical regime unlike anything we have ever seen before on the face of this planet. One that is fully intends to strip every man, woman, and child of our free will. Our flaws are what makes us human. A utopia arrived at by removing people's free will is not a utopia at all. It is a monomanical nightmare. Furthermore, the people who rule over us are the dark triad types who cannot be trusted with power. Imagine being beaten and sexually assaulted by a wealthy and powerful psychopath and being forced to smile and laugh over it because your neural lace gives you no choice but to obey your master. The elites are forging ahead with this technology without giving people any room to question the social or ethical ramifications or to establish a regulatory framework that ensure our personal agency autonomy will not be overridden by these devices. They do this because they secretly dream of a future where they can treat you worse than an animal and you cannot even fight back. If this evil plan is allowed to continue, it will spell the end of humanity as we know it. In conclusion, the current pandemic was produced and perpetrated by the establishment through the use of virus engineered in a PLA, which is the People's Liberation Army, connected Chinese biowarfare laboratory with the aid of American taxpayer dollars and French expertise. This research was conducted under the absolutely ridiculous euphemism of gate and function research, which is supposedly carried out in order to determine which viruses have the highest potential for zoonotic spillover and preemptively vaccinate or guard against them. Gain-of-function, gain-of-threat research, aka dual-use research of concern, or DURC, is bioweapon research by another, a friendlier-sounding name, simply to avoid the taboo of calling it what it actually is. It has always been bioweapon research. The people who are conducting this research fully understand that they are taking wild pathogens that are not infectious to humans and making them more infectious often gaining grants from military think tanks encouraging them to do so. 
These virologists conducting this type of research are enemies of their fellow man, like pyromaniac firefighters. Gain-of-function research has never protected anyone from any pandemic. In fact, it has now started one, meaning its utility for preventing pandemics is actually negative. It should have been banned globally, and the lunatics performing it should have been put in straitjackets long ago. Either through a leak or intentional release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a deadly SARS strain is now endemic across the globe. After the WHO and CDC and public officials first downplayed the risks and then intentionally incited panic and lockdowns that jeopardized people's health and their livelihoods. This was then used by the utterly depraved and psychopathic aristocratic class who roll over us in an excuse to coerce people into accepting an injected poison which may be a depopulation agent a mind control pacification agent in the form of injectable quote-unquote smart dust, or both in one. They believe they can get away with this by weaponizing the social stigma of vaccine refusal. They are incorrect. Their motives are clear and obvious to anyone who has been paying attention. These megalomaniacs have raided the pension funds of the free world. Wall Street is insolvent and has had ongoing liquidity issues since the end of 2019. The aim now is to exert total, full-spectrum, physical, mental, and financial control over humanity before we realize just how badly we've been extorted by these maniacs. The pandemic and its response served multiple purposes for the elite. Concealing a depression brought on by the usurious plunder of our economies conducted by rentier capitalists and absentee owners who produce absolutely nothing of any value to society whatsoever. Instead of us having a very predictable Occupy Wall Street Part 2, the elites and their stooges got to stand on television and paint themselves as wise and all-powerful saviors instead of the marauding cabal of despicable land pirates they are, destroying small business and eroding the middle class transferring trillions of dollars of wealth from the American public into the pockets of billionaires and special interests, engaging in insider trading, buying stock and biotech companies, and shorting the brick-and-mortar businesses and travel companies with the aim of collapsing the face-to-face -face commerce and tourism and replacing it with e-commerce and servitization, creating a costless belly for war with China, encouraging us to attack them, wasting American lives and treasure, and driving us to the brink of nuclear Armageddon. Establishing a technological and biosecurity frameworks for population control in technocratic socialist smart cities, where everyone's movements are despotically tracked, and all in anticipation of widespread automation, joblessness, and food shortages by using the false guise of a vaccine to compel cooperation. Any one of those things would constitute a vicious rape of Western society. Taken together, they beggar belief. They are a complete inversion of our most treasured values. What is the purpose of all this? One can only speculate as to the perpetrator's motives. However, we have some theories. The elites are trying to pull up the ladder, erase upward mobility for large segments of the population, call political opponents and other quote-unquote undesirables, and put the remainder of humanity on a tight leash, rationing our access to certain goods and services that they have deemed quote-unquote high impact, such as automobile use, tourism, meat consumption, and so on. 
Naturally, they will continue to have their own luxuries as a part of a strict caste system akin to feudalism. Why are they doing this? Simple. The elites are neo-Malthusians and believe that we are overpopulated and the resource depletion will collapse civilization in a matter of a short few decades. They are not necessarily incorrect in this belief. We are overpopulated and we are consuming too many resources. However, orchestrating such a gruesome and murderous power grab in response to a looming crisis demonstrates that they have nothing but the utmost contempt for their fellow man. To those who are participating in this disgusting farce without any understanding of what they are doing, we have one word for you. Stop. You are causing irreparable harm to your country and your fellow citizens. To those who may have been reading this warning and have full knowledge and understanding of what they are doing and how it will unjustly harm millions of innocent people, we have a few more words. Damn you to hell. You will not destroy America and the free world. You will not have your new world order. We will make certain of that.